Thank you, Todd and Heidi, for that ministry in music. There are advisors that we can turn to for a myriad of situations. We can receive advice on investing from financial advisors, or we can receive dating advice from counselors and matchmakers. We can receive advice as students from academic advisors. Today, we are going to look at an advisor who is going to give us advice on worship. Advice on worship. How we should enter worship. You know, some people, when they give us advice or instructions or sometimes imperatives, uh, they just tell us what we are to do. And someone might ask, well, why should I do that? And they say, because I said so. That's a pretty unsatisfactory answer. And today we receive advice, advice from Solomon and ultimately from God himself, but not just because he said so, but actually gives us reasons. So today we're going to be looking at advice and then the reasons for that advice when it comes to worship. If you're not there, I invite you to turn with me to Second Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, as we look at a series of advice statements and then reasons for them. The first bit of advice is be careful how you enter into the worship of God. Be careful how you enter into the worship of God. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. In other words, don't rush into worship. Don't rush into worship. You notice in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, it's as you go to the Lord's house. You're not even there yet. And already you are preparing your heart for worship. We talk about preparing our hearts for worship. Uh, we have uh, an organ and piano prelude for which we are very thankful every uh, Sunday morning. And the intent of that prelude is for us to begin to be quiet and not just to settle in, but to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. To be ready to hear from God. Notice verse 1. And draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So we need to be careful about rushing into worship. And it's so easy to enter into the presence of God with a thousand and one things on our minds. So many distractions, busyness, people that we have to, to see or places that we need to go right after the church is over. And we lose sight of why we are here. And we are not really ready, as it were, to worship. We find in this passage that worship is primarily about receiving from God. It's about listening to God. That is 
very informative, I think very instructive, especially in the society and the culture that we live today, even the Christian culture. We've almost gotten to the place in evangelicalism that we equate worship with music. And we talk about worshiping God, and uh, for many people that immediately translates into to singing. But here in the passage, as you go to the house of God to worship, it is primarily to listen. To listen. We do not apologize that the primary focus of our worship service is on the proclamation of the Word of God. Because that is really the, the center of worship. It is to come to hear from God. Not to hear from me, not to hear my thoughts, but to come and hear the Word of God. That is the basic function of worship. It is our receiving our marching orders, as it were, for the week. It's our coming to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, and hearing what He has to say to us, what He expects from us, what He delights in us, how we might more faithfully serve Him. So the advice is don't rush into worship. Don't come with the intention of speaking, but come with the intention of hearing. And then the reason. The reason for the caution in worship is because it is possible to worship God in an unacceptable manner. It is possible to worship God in an unacceptable manner. Notice the end of verse 1 of chapter 5. For they do not know that they are doing evil. They do not know that they are doing evil. It is possible for us to come and to worship God in an unacceptable fashion. That God is not pleased with. In fact, later in the text we're going to see that actually angers Him when we don't worship as we ought. When we don't worship as we ought. And so, how does that happen? Notice in verse 1. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. And then these words, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Offer the sacrifice of fools. Now, what in the world does that mean? To offer the sacrifice that a fool would offer. There are a number of different Hebrew words that are translated into English under the uh, word fool. This particular word for fool is a person who is dull of hearing, insensitive, merely going through the motions. I would summarize that as thoughtless. Thoughtless. And in that sense... Foolish. The foolish person doesn't think. The foolish person just goes through the motions. The foolish person is caught up with an emotional frenzy. The foolish person does not take time to stop and consider their actions and what it is that they are doing. So, what God detests 
is worship that is not associated with true thought. Reflection. You see, it's possible for us to simply go through motions. It's so habitual. It's such a, it's a habit. Uh, you can just get in the car and drive without even thinking about what road you have to take, what, what turn. It's so second nature to you. And uh, sometimes you found yourself, uh, have you ever been so preoccupied that uh, you end up driving somewhere where you didn't even intend to go? It's just, just such a, a, ra- a habit. It's such a, it's such a rut. Well, there is so much about our worship service that is predictable. We have the same format of worship every single Sunday. If you have worshiped with us for any period of time, you know what the order of service is on a Sunday morning. And it's easy, you see, just to get into a rut and and a habit and not think about what you're singing, not really listening to the prayer, not really entering into it with a, with a heart that is agreeing and, and seeking God's blessing in that way. And, and to sit back and put your mind in neutral and just get through it. And that is what displeases God. Thoughtless worship. Thoughtless worship is unacceptable. In Isaiah 29, 13, it says, Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Their reverence for me, their awe of me, consists in merely tradition, habit. That's learned by rote. Many of us grow up in, in Christian homes. It's a wonderful thing. And... Uh, there are many of you that have been carried to church. Uh, you have been in church since you were an infant. Uh, it becomes a, a second nature to you. It's part of your life. That's what you do. Sunday feels odd if you don't go to church. You know, if you're on vacation or something, it's a Sunday. You're not in church. It just feels kind of funny because you're just so used to going to church. Well, church ought to be more than a habit. Uh, Church ought to be more than an obligation. Church ought to be a matter of entering into the worship of God new and afresh. We ought to understand the, the privilege and the incredible reality that when we come here, we come to meet with God. We come to meet with God, the creator of the heavens and earth. Have we, in fact, this morning, come to hear from God? Is our intention to obey Him? When we think about worship, the English word worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P. Worth-ship. Meaning that God is worthy God is worthy. We come because God is worthy. There is nothing that is to be more important or valued more highly than being in God's presence. We should, in fact, view it, I use the word privilege, I don't know a better word, it's an honor for us 
to be able to meet with God. But somehow, somehow, in this topsy-turvy world of ours, people can get to the place where they think they're doing God a favor by being here. You know, I'm so busy, and I have so much to do, but I guess I'll go to worship. And all the time you're sitting here, you're thinking about, well, you know, I have so many things to do, and I sure hope he doesn't go over this morning, because i got to get to so-and-such a place this afternoon. And there are all these things that are running through our mind, and we hope that God takes account. Notice God. I'm here today. And we expect God to be just overjoyed and sing in heaven and saying, wow, they came today. They came to meet with me. As though God is privileged that we take an hour and a half to give him a week. That is topsy-turvy. We should be amazed that God would meet with us. And in humility, we come to worship and meet with Him. The second area of advice is that when you come to worship, be thoughtful and serious in the commitments that you make. Be thoughtful and serious in the commitments that you make. Don't make rash promises to God. Verse 2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. So, uh, as I say, don't, ra- uh, don't make rash promises to God. Uh, in the context, I think that's the primary application. The thought is to bring up a matter before God. It has uh, the idea there, too, of arguing with God. Uh, we uh, said, uh, we sang purposefully this morning. Silently now I wait for thee. Uh, the aspect of silence isn't just keeping our mouth shut, but also keeping our thoughts in order that we're not arguing with God. Uh, that we are not uh, rejecting what God has to say. That we're not analyzing. We're not, we're not uh, going to, going to uh, try to debate what God says. But as James says, with meekness to receive the word of God that is able to save our souls. Uh, so the idea here is to meekly reserve, re, receive and then don't make rash promises to God. The reason for it is that God has power to perform his word and we do not. In verse 5, chapter 5, verse 2, and you notice in each one of these things we have the word for after the, reason, after the advice. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God for, here's the reason, why God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Simply put, understand the difference between God and ourselves. Understand the difference between God and ourselves. God is in heaven and we are down here. Who are we to argue with God? Who are we to find fault with God? And who are we 
to doubt God. Psalm 115 verse 3 gives us this thought in perspective. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's who God is. God is in heaven. Meaning that he rules over all things. He's, he's up there. We're down here. He's in control. And he does whatever he pleases. We need to remember that we are not able. We are not capable. We are not powerful enough to do whatever we please. To do whatever we please. Therefore, there is a world of difference. A world of heaven and a world of earth. A world of difference between God's word and our word. That's why we should be quick to hear his word. Because it's always true. It's always faithful. It's always right. And we should be very slow in our speaking to him. In making our commitments to him. Because... We are not like God. That's what the verse wants to emphasize. God, unlike us, knows all things. God, unlike us, knows the future. He knows what is going to happen for all eternity future. We don't even know what's going to happen this afternoon. We have plans. We have desires. We have made decisions about what we're going to do this afternoon, but in reality, we don't know what's going to take place this afternoon. Unlike God, who not only knows the future, but controls the future, who has absolute authority over everything that is going to take place from now until eternity future, we don't have control over anything. We may think that we do, but in reality, we don't. And so... The idea here is that when we make statements to God of what we are going to do, we ought to be very, very cautious because we don't know the future and we don't control the future. Therefore, be very careful about what you tell God you're going to do in the future. Demonstrate humility. Ecclesiastes 5.3 For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. Now Ecclesiastes 10 verses 12 to 14 sheds light on what that means. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly and the end of it is wicked badness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen And who can tell him what will come after him? Again, the idea of not knowing the future. Why do we say what we're going to do in the future when we don't know? When we don't know. Therefore, do not rush into making obligations to God. And this is going to build. It's going to reach a climax. So hang in there with me. The idea here this morning is, first of all, don't be quick to enter into vows, vows, promises, commitments. This is something that uh, uh, I have been very concerned about for a long time. 
And as a result, as a pastor, I am extremely careful and reluctant to have people enter into any type of vow before God. I grew up in a Bible fellowship church, and it was the habit in that particular church that uh, on a Sunday where there was child dedication, that uh, you know that the parents stand and, and uh, they make some statements. And those statements are, in fact, vows. They are statements of commitment of how they're going to rear this child. Because child dedication is really primarily the dedication of the parents as to how they're going to rear that child. And so the, the parents would answer a few questions. And then the pastor would turn to the congregation after the parents had, uh, had answered these questions in the affirmative. Then the pastor would turn to the congregation and say, and will you as a congregation pray regularly for this child? And everyone was supposed to say yes. I remember as a teenager sitting there and I would never say yes. I don't know what regular means. But I know that, you know, regular is a commitment that sometimes I don't keep. I don't keep. And I wasn't about to publicly say that I'm going to pray for this child on a regular basis and maybe not do it. So I don't have you. As a congregation, and in just a few weeks, we're going to have child dedication. I don't say, now, are you as a congregation going to pray regularly for this child? I hope that we will. And there will be prayer lists, and there will be ways in which we can, we can foster that. And then certainly some of you will have the child in Sunday school as days go on. And so many things. It would be certainly a good thing. And not making the vow doesn't prohibit you from doing it. But be thoughtful about what you are going to commit yourself to. You see, there's a false sense of spirituality out there that says, you know, the spiritual thing is to to make this kind of commitment. Uh, We don't ask for pledges, financial pledges. We don't ask you to commit to a certain amount of money that you're going to give this year. We don't have people sign up to give, you know, 5,000, 10,000, whatever the case may be. We don't ask for, for pledges. I even discourage having people to sign up for good things, such as praying for day camp every day until day camp comes. Would that be good? Sure. It would be wonderful if everybody would pray for day camp until it begins. But you won't see a sign-up sheet coming from me that asks people to sign up and say that you're going to pray for day camp every day till it begins. You're just asking for trouble. It sounds good. It sounds spiritual. What could be better? Only that, probably a lot of people wouldn't do it. And you're actually causing them to do evil. You're actually causing them to go against what they said. And it doesn't Please, God. Notice 
the third advice. The advice, follow through on any and all commitments that you make to God. Notice the natural progression. Verse 4. When you make a vow to God, first, do not be late in paying it. And then secondly, pay what you vow. If you make a vow to God, then do it. It's as simple as that. If you make a vow to God, then do it. Then fulfill it. The reason. The reason is God takes no pleasure in empty words. Notice verse 4. For, here's the reason. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For, he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you, what you vow. And then verse 5. To make a promise to God and, not, and to break it is worse than not having made the promise at all. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay it. It is better to not vow than to vow and not payment. So back to my illustration, even about praying for day camp. It is better not to say that you are going to pray every day for day camp than it is to say that you're going to pray every day for day camp and not do it. Sometimes people out of good intentions, good intentions, Make commitments that ultimately they are not going to keep. And it displeases God. And part of that is because we fail to realize our weaknesses. We feel that we are in control. So I would submit to you. That one of the things that we could say is, by God's grace, by God's will, I will seek to pray every day for taking. That's appropriate. Uh, I want to pray every day for day camp. Okay. <laughs> uh, I intend, but to flat out say that we're going to do certain things is, in fact, wrong. But there is another element here that's very important. And that is, back to verse 1, we have come to hear from God, not to impose upon God. We come to hear, we come to listen, we come to obey rather than come to alter God's mind or bring Him in obedience to us or get Him to do what we want Him to do. You see, some people understand worship is, this is my opportunity to tell God what I want Him to do for me this week. That's topsy-turvy. It isn't that we come... To tell God what he is to do for us this week. We come to hear what we are to do for God this week. And I would submit to you that the primary 
issue with most vows. Now, take away the wedding vows because they are, in fact, biblical. There are certain vows that we are to make. But when we enter into what are uh, non-essential vows or vows that aren't in, in the Scripture, the primary motivation for those vows are manipulation. Manipulation. Trying to get God to do what we think that without the view thou he will not do. In other words, so many vows that are inappropriate are people saying, God, if you will do this, then I will do this. If you will do that, then I will do this. Let me show you one such vow in the Scripture. And I chose this because it's probably the most positive vow in this arena. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Many of you know the story well. 1 Samuel chapter 1 is the story of Hannah. And Hannah has no child. And she is grief-stricken. Life is miserable for her because she has no child. And so she goes to the house to worship. For Samuel 1.11. Now she's at the house of worship. And she made a vow. Okay, so there's no question here what we're talking about. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, here comes God's part. If you will indeed look on the affliction of thy maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son. So basic thing is, God, your part of this deal is you give me a son. That's what I want you to do. You give me a son. And if you do that, then I will give to the Lord, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall not come on his head. So there's the vow, there's the deal. God, give me a son, and I'll give him back to you. Just let me have a child. And then I'll dedicate him to you, and he can serve you, and he can be a blessing to you, and, and this is what I will do. And that is the general nature of vows that are not required in the Scriptures. The vows that, that are required in the Scriptures are not if-then vows. But man-made vows are if-then vows. They are, God, if you do this, then I will do that. Refrain. That's manipulation. That should never be a part of our worship. That should never be a part of our prayer life. We should never go there. Refrain from making deals with God. But you don't know the future. You don't have power over the future. Don't do it. Just simply don't do it. Stay here and remember that in Ecclesiastes 5, it says when you make a vow, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. 
Well, God indeed gave Hannah a child. Gave her a son. And her husband, Elkanah, knowing the vow that his wife had made, became a little concerned as to whether or not she was going to keep this vow. Whether she would actually do what she said she was going to do. So notice verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And it came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So in other words, okay, if you think that's what's best, but you be sure that you keep this vow. You be sure that you give this child to the Lord as you said you were going to give him. Verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. And that child stayed there and was raised by Eli. She kept her vow. That's why I say this is what I see as the most positive of these vows in the Word of God. She did what she said she was going to do. If you make a vow, keep it. But better off not to have made it than to make it and break it. There are many reasons that would tempt us not to keep our vows. The most notable of which is that somehow it would turn out to be something that later we don't want to do. Psalm 15 verse 1 says, O Lord, who will abide in thy tent? Who may dwell on thy holy hill? Verse 4. The one whose eyes are reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, he makes a commitment. And now he finds out that this commitment is going to be painful. But he doesn't go back on his word. He doesn't change it. He doesn't undo it. Which brings us quickly to the next element of advice. The advice, don't make any commitments to God that you're going to regret later. Don't make any commitments to God that you're going to regret later. And the difficulty is, you don't know what you're going to regret later. That's why, don't do it. Because we can't see the future. We don't understand what could happen. Verse 6. 
Do not let your speech cause you to sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. It was a mistake. Don't get to a place where you say that the commitment that you made to God was a mistake. Don't make regrettable vows. Probably the poster child of regrettable vows in the scripture is Jephthah's vow. So turn with me in your Bibles and let's look at that one quickly. Judges 11, verse 30. Jephthah was a judge in Israel. And he wanted to be assured victory in a battle that he was about to enter into. Judges 11.30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand. There's the condition. There's the, if God, you will do this. If you will give Ammon into my hand. That was the enemy. Key words are, are wilt indeed. Because God had already said to Jephthah that Ammon was going to be delivered in his hand. God already said, I'm going to give you the victory. But Jephthah didn't believe God. Jephthah didn't receive the word of God. Jephthah didn't take God's word at face value. Back to Ecclesiastes 5.1. He didn't come to hear. He didn't simply say, okay, God, you said you will do this. Therefore, I will go. Instead, he says, okay, God, you said you will do this. Now, if you really will do it, then give me the victory. And this is what I will do. Verse 31. Then... It shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So, God, if you're really going to do what you say you're going to do, and you really do give me the victory, then this is what I'm going to do. That is, I'm going to offer up and sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. Okay? Jephthah goes off the battle. Jephthah wins the battle. God keeps his part of the bargain. Judges 11.34 When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now, she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came about when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter! You have brought me very low, and you are among those that trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord. And I cannot take it back. I made this promise. And I can't go back on it. Now, Jephthah would never have vowed the vow if he knew that his daughter would be the first one out of the house. He must have thought it was going to be a chicken or a dog or or something else. But he never envisioned that it would be his daughter. That's the problem. 
We can't envision the future. We aren't in control. And what he said with an open and willing heart, he now came to regret terribly. You don't want to put yourself in that position. You don't want to make a financial vow where three years later you've lost your job and you aren't in the same situation that you were once in and yet you've made a commitment for five years that you're going to give X amount of dollars. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be in that spot. It sounds good. It seems spiritual. But it's a folly. It's foolishness. It's not really spiritual after all. So don't make vows that you're going to regret later. Reasons. We don't want to make God angry. Rather than pleasing God, such vows displease Him. Notice verse 6. Why should God be angry on account of your voice? Why should you make God angry because of what you say? We don't want God to work against us. We want God to work for us. Notice verse 6. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? It's the exact opposite of what we'd expect. The whole purpose of a vow in this context is trying to get God to do something. And rather than get God to do something that we want, we end up having God do something we don't want. Again, at the heart of such vows is a desire to manipulate God. It's an unwillingness to submit ourselves to Him. It's back to verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 5. It's not coming to hear from God, but rather to tell God what to do. I'm not satisfied with life as it is. I want you to change it. Hannah was not satisfied with life as it was. She wanted to change it. She was miserable because she didn't have a child. And she wanted to change that. And so, she was going to manipulate God. She was going to get God to do something that she thought He was unwilling to do. She thought that in order to get this child, that she was going to have to do something to motivate God or even to obligate God. That it becomes God's responsibility to bless her in this way because of the commitment that she's making. Oh God, how could you deny me this when I'm going to give you that? That's the problem. That's the heart of it, the sinfulness of it. That's the issue. And that's the best one you can find. That's the most positive one you can find. But you see, at the bottom of it is the lack of belief and trust and submission towards God. 
We are to come. We're to cast our cares upon Him. There's nothing wrong for Hannah to say, God, I want a child. God, I am miserable. The sin comes in seeking to make God obligated to us when we are in fact obligated to Him. Avoid the temptations to make deals with God. To manipulate God in doing what you want Him to do. God, if you will just do this, then I will do that. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Notice verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 5. For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness, vanity, futility. Rather, fear God. Fear God. The word fear in the Old Testament is just filled with such, it's just pregnant with a whole lot of ideas. There's no one good word to translate fear. Fear, it's trembling, it's awe, it's respect, it's reverence. It's a simple awareness that God is awesome. Awesome. And that doesn't mean really cool. That means totally different from me. I don't second guess him. I don't try to change his mind because I know his ways are better than my ways. I know his thoughts are better than my thoughts. I know his desires are better than my desires. And I constantly have to remember not to lean under my own understanding, but all in all my ways, acknowledge who God is. So come to hear from Him. Come to be instructed by Him. Don't come to tell Him what to do. Don't tell Him how to make your life better. Don't tell Him what you expect from Him this week. And if He's good, you'll reward Him by giving Him something. Don't go there. Don't go there. Just remain in awe, in fear, and respect of God. Cast your cares upon Him, knowing that He cares for you. There's no reason to enter into these silly vows that only are going to bring us heartache and misery and regret. And we will fail. Just simply... Do what's right. Do what's right. Because, you see, everything else is manipulation. Why have people sign up to pray regularly? It's manipulative. To try to get people to do what they won't do otherwise. Why ask for a pledge? It's manipulative. To try to get people to give what they won't give otherwise. Worship is not about a manipulation. Worship is about a free and willing heart that serves God 
Because they love Him. And they want to honor Him. And glorify Him. Let's pray. Oh God, help us in our worship of You. Help us to come to hear and not to speak. Help us to come to receive and not to instruct. Help us come to welcome and not to argue. Lord, may we remember that You are in heaven. We are on earth. You know the future. We do not. You control the future. We do not. You love us in ways that we don't love You. Lord, You are superior in any comparison that we want to make. So, Lord, help us to truly worship You. To acknowledge that difference. And say that we belong to You. Not that You belong to us. And may we serve You. And not expect You to serve us. Help us in our worship. Thank You, O God, for meeting with us today. Thank You for welcoming us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.